for me as a writer, someone who was born to be a writer, my way of navigating the world, my way of processing the world emotionally is through writing. And I got to a place where I was so um, ill, like I, my energy was so out of balance that I could not do that thing. And I think that really contributed to drinking. And then when I, I stopped drinking March of 2005 and I started writing again in 2006, like, pretty, like I had my first year of sobriety and then I found a writing program and I started going every week. And the first thing I wrote was a memoir. And it just, I mean, Jess, it was like someone had just broken open a dam. It just unleashed. I would go in, we wrote for an hour together and I would just write like straight through, like every minute of the hour, I was just scribbling. It was like automatic writing. It was just pouring out of me and it was so much stuff and it was so overwhelming. And, but I needed to do it. That was another big step in my healing. And I think a lot of people miss that about writing, that it's not just about producing a book to sell or, you know, a short story for the contest. It's about your own healing, especially if you're writing memoir, I think. Welcome to the INF Club podcast. I'm Jazz Hoti, and this is the podcast for INFJs and INFPs and other intuitives and highly sensitives to provide you with nourishment, understanding and inspiration as you navigate your journey. Whether you are listening for the first time or you have tuned in previously, thank you for being here and welcome to the show. everyone it's jazz here and a warm welcome to another episode whether you're here for the first time or you're a returning listener this is the podcast where you'll find the stories of infps and infjs as well as other intuitive people who are out there living and navigating their very own unconventional creative life my conversation partner today is my friend lauren sapala and this is actually the eighth conversation in our series the theme for today being writing. In case you don't know her already, Lauren is a writer, writing coach, and an INFJ. She also wrote the books The INFJ Writer, Firefly Magic, and The INFJ Revolution, which are for intuitive introverts, HSPs, empaths, and all other sensitive, struggling artists. And I'm also going to read a paragraph from Lauren's about section on her website, which adds some context to Lauren's writing journey, which she delves into in today's episode. After a heartbreaking experience in college, when a creative writing professor told me that I should give up writing and find something to do at which I might actually be successful, I stopped writing for seven years. It was only when I stumbled upon an unconventional writing group based on the format of Alcoholics Anonymous that I started writing again and discovered my own creative gifts. Taking this newfound knowledge with me, I started my own writing group using the same method. I called it Write City and advertised it as a place 
for writers to come to write silently for one hour without being critiqued. To my surprise, a very particular kind of writer began to populate the group. Sensitive, intuitive writers who were paralysed by self-doubt. And you can find the remainder of Lauren's introductory story by visiting www.laurensapala.com forward slash about. During our conversation, here's some of what we talked about. How we can change the stories that we tell ourselves. Lauren's journey from alcoholism to sobriety and rediscovering writing. Why you might wish to focus primarily on writing for yourself rather than on being a full-time author or making an income from your writing. The job that Lauren worked whilst she was writing and blogging. The genres that INFPs and INFJs seem to be particularly drawn to. Why Lauren really needed her silent writing group when she began to write again. And also how Lauren has set up her business. Before we get started, I would invite you, if it's safe to do so, to take a couple of slow breaths. Or perhaps you might wish to plant your feet on the ground and gently notice the weight of your body to give yourself some grounding as you tune into this conversation. Okay, and with that being said, I hope you enjoy it. Here it is, conversation number eight in this series with my friend Lauren Sapala, all about writing. So host. Perfect. Yay. There you go. And are you recording too? I'm recording as well. Um, and I was going to ask you, I was like, uh, I was even thinking about this yesterday. I was like, I'm going to ask Lauren what the, her energy is like. And I, I'm, I'm kind of hoping she says it's gnarly because I've been feeling pretty gnarly. Well, you know, my shaman said uh, May 8th through the 13th is a period of massive growth. <laughs> and whenever they say something like that, I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> Here we go. I think I read, um, is this um, Jose and Lena? Yeah, Jose and yeah. Lena Stevens, thepowerpath.com. So I just got back on their mailing list and I read that. Because, um, yeah, I know last time you said, they said April was going to be gnarly. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, I, I read the, the latest email as well. Um, yeah, I've been uh, kind of slow and tired, like sleeping a lot. I've been uh, like scattered when I have been kind of bringing myself to work. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. I, don't know how it's been, I don't know how you've, what's it kind of well, felt for you? I just started a new class. Um, so yeah. I kind of thought that might be part of it because I'm holding space for like, you know, 47 people. Right. Um, so, and that's been just a lot of energy. Like I just taught Tuesday night, we did a silent writing session, the Facebook group's been really active. So I thought, oh, maybe I'm kind of low energy because of that, but I, it feels like more, honestly, mm. and it's, it's not exactly bad. It's not like I'm exhausted, but I just, um, I feel like if I'm a battery or if I'm like a USB hub, like all my ports are taken and I'm just kind of sitting here. I'm like, I can't take any more USB sticks in me. <laughs> No, that's a weird analogy yeah you know it's interesting you say that because also like for me like um so my brother moved out of the weekend 
So like emotionally, that's been a bit of a thing. Um, and like, I'm planning to like go away for like almost three months next month. So I've been planning that. Um, and I might've thought that it was those things, but like the way I've been feeling, it was kind of this week, but also last week, actually, I was feeling quite gnarly and it's kind of now almost, um, this week's feels like kind of gnarlier somehow. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, I was asking myself, I was like, so is it, is it this other stuff or is it more than that? And it kind of feels like a combination, but like just more than, you know, my own kind of stuff that I'm dealing with, you know? Yeah. It feels like more to me too. Um, I mean, Jose and Lena, I don't know how much you know about like the Toltec wisdom stuff, but they're saying that according to the Toltecs, we're moving from the era of the fifth sun to the sixth sun. So it's like an entirely new energy frequency. And that's supposed to happen in May. There's a big lunar eclipse at the end of the month. Mm. And that's kind of like influencing everything. Um, but it's just a different way of being in the world. It's a, it's a different vibration. Yeah. So I, I mean, I really feel like, yeah, that resonates for me. Yeah. And what's interesting is, I think, yeah, someone emailed and then someone either emailed or someone else somehow got in contact. I, I forget whether it was email or one of the other social channels to also say that, oh, yeah, since you guys spoke and I've kind of been going back and forth with someone talking about kind of the moon and stuff. And um, yeah, I don't know. There's something. Uh, I don't cling to it, but I feel like I'm becoming more aware of we've talked about this kind of seasonal stuff and it's it's impact you know yeah oh yeah i mean i think the astrological stuff definitely has an impact for sure mm -hmm. and i mean i've gotten the older i've gotten the more i feel like i feel that and the more that i've read you know which is all sorts of different metaphysical stuff quantum physics stuff it it just feels like yeah that's right on yeah um i saw you're also speaking on some sort of is it called the wisdom summit oh it's the aquarian wisdom festival yeah oh, that just that sounds out. so awesome <laughs> yeah i really like the woman who put it together um and it's right i was like oh this is right on my infj wavelength like ancient egyptian wisdom and the awesome. science of channeling and you know yeah it's um it's cool because like obviously there's different uh I feel like there's kind of different areas and different buckets that we're kind of we're interested in and we're kind of in of and um this kind of more kind of deeper more out there stuff is uh in some ways it's the most interesting and I also saw Sandra Ingerman is speaking on this uh, oh yeah she's part of the festival she's great I always give her as a resource because I'll get random yeah. emails where people are like I want to know more about shamanism and I'm like check out Sandra yeah, and I bought awesome. um I bought one of her she's got quite a few books I bought one of her books uh um I think it was on soul retrieval mm -hmm. so interesting like uh, I, there's another guy you should check out Hank Wesselman he's really great and he does a lot of shamanic stuff one of my friends in San Francisco, um, Hank was actually his professor and mm -hmm. he was the one that turned me on to him, but he's great too. He has books out. Really cool. Yeah. Um, and like her background is really interesting because I know from what I understand, she studied kind of traditional psychology, 
traditional therapy stuff mm-hmm. um and now has also uh it, well yeah she's uh she's a shaman and i'm sure obviously comes with i yeah i guess i just find it in i just find her background interesting in that you know she's not just someone who's kind of come across shamanism and kind of rolled with it she's actually she was kind of doing the traditional stuff and clearly um there was something missing or shamanism is adding something uh to her context and worldview which she wasn't getting from the traditional stuff which yeah it's fascinating and i'm seeing a lot about um uh psychedelics and mdma and stuff and um kind of science behind how it can help treat depression and anxiety and trauma and all this stuff. Um, mm-hmm. I know we've talked, we've talked a little bit about that, but yeah, that's uh, just something interesting I've seen in the last week. Um, and, you know, talking about how uh, a lot of the narrative from like the sixties quickly went to, you know, the, the one that's followed in terms of, you know, drugs being, you know, kind of hippies and kind of bad, like uh, or not great and all these negative connotations. And maybe in doing so, we've actually missed um, a trick with some of the benefits. Um, I've not taken psychedelics myself, but I know others who have and who have said like it's helped them a lot. Um, I have before. And I mean, I had a, I think we talked about this in previous conversation. I took it with two, with an extrovert and a a sensor and I had a way different experience. So I think just be aware of that. If you're an intuitive person going in, you might have a way different experience, not necessarily worse, just different, maybe more intense. Um, But it's interesting you brought that up because I've been reading or rereading Byron Katie. I don't know if you've ever read her. She's really interesting she has something called the work and it's four questions that you use to get inside your head and see your mental biases and basically drop your story and she's got a really interesting story herself but i think the thing with psychedelics is when you have um these negative thought loops or you feel trapped by these thoughts that are so critical or paranoid or or whatever it is with the psychedelics, you drop your story, right? Like that's what acid does. That's what shrooms do. You very quickly drop your story because you, your attachment to like, I am this, I am this identity. Like I am Lauren and I am a woman and I am 42 years old. Like that stuff really loosens up when you're on psychedelics and you're like, oh, I can really feel that I'm an awareness in a body, (laughs) And the body is named Lauren and the body is 42 years old, but I'm the awareness. So like those connections get loosened and that story that you were so convinced is true of like, I'm a failure, you know, no one's ever loved me. My mother never loved me. Like that story that you just constantly plays, you drop it. And once you drop the story, you're like, oh my gosh, I don't have to have this story. (laughs) Like there's so much beyond the story. There's a whole world here. Like, I could actually have fun and not just be caught up in this story all the time. Mm. And I think sometimes it's, if you don't have the, um, the helping hand of the psychedelic, it's really difficult to do, or it takes just a lot longer to get there. That's for, yeah, that's, I mean, with that, yeah, without having experienced that myself, the way you've articulated, that's really interesting. I bet there's going to be a few people who are going to be like, yeah, that makes sense. Um, 
I mean, you can do it without psychedelics. Like I practice it all the time. Like, and if if you really are interested in doing it drug-free, I do suggest people pick up Byron Katie's stuff. She's got a book called Loving What Is. That's her like core work. But you can start doing it like you'll be in the grocery store and you're like, this line's so slow and that woman cut in front of me and this always happens to me. And then you're like, okay, wait a minute, drop the story. Like drop the story. You're just standing in a line in a store. That's all that's happening right now. No one's victimizing you. No one's being unfair to you. This isn't like more evidence that this horrible pattern always plays out. Like you're just standing in line in a store, drop the story. Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. such a relief. And then you'll also see how your ego like doesn't want to drop it. <laughs> your ego's like, no, no, I'm really upset. Don't, you can't drop it. So it's a lot of interesting stuff happens along the way. Mm. Do you, when it comes to, I guess, the use of uh, substances, drugs, because you, you said, you know, buying Katie stuff if you don't want to use drugs, what, do you have a personal take on kind of using drugs and like would you do a combination of both like so some of the stuff coming up for me is where I'm trying to be more open now is um I guess I always think about you know putting stuff in the body and like a reliance on this stuff and you know I I, similar sort of thing but in a different way with like antidepressants like okay it's helping me now but I don't want to have to rely on it forever so I don't know, do you, do you have like a take on kind of using substances to, I guess if it helps you shift your story, then that's, that sounds pretty major. I think it, it just depends on the person. You have to really sit with it and figure out what feels good to you. Mm-hmm. Um, like for me, I was open, you know, I've been sober. I haven't had alcohol in 16 years and I haven't smoked weed in God, 10, 10, 11 years. Actually, it was just 11 years. Um, and I'm not against those things, but I would be open to taking psychedelics in the future, future. But for me, I have a six-year-old son and there's just always this part of my brain that's like, but what if something happens to him and we have to go to the emergency room and you're on acid, you know, and people are like, we'll get a babysitter. And I'm like, even if he had a babysitter, like, there's just part of me. It's like, what if the babysitter calls and I have to rush home right away? So I don't, I can't reconcile that for me. Like that doesn't feel good to me. It's the loss of being in control in your grounded self state. Yeah. And that, that was never, I didn't have that before being a mother, like being a mother for me came with different stuff. And that means I'm, I'm comfortable with different stuff now. And that's fine. My husband, he is an INTJ. He does not like to be out of control at all. He's like, nope, for me, he's like, I don't. And he used to do a lot of drugs, but now he's like, nope, I don't want to be in any way inebriated or not know what's going on. He's like, that makes me very uncomfortable. I don't like it. So that's his thing. You know, I have clients who have used um, the ketamine treatments that are out now for anxiety and depression. And they're like, I love them. This is great. I go every week. This is really working for me, you know? So it depends on you. Like you've got to sit. I guess also your journey and your relationship with stuff. Cause also, you know, you mentioned alcohol, you mentioned the weed, um, like congratulations by the way over a decade off of both so doing a bit of math did you um that's math not meth Um, (laughs) (laughs) did you was it 26 when you gave up alcohol yeah wow yeah pretty i want to say pretty young so it seems like but you went through that turbulent time kind of what late teens early 20s early yeah so from from 19 to 26 i drank hard like from 19 to 26, I'm like, I can't believe I didn't die, honestly. 
as I would be in a blackout three nights a week at least. And I would start drinking like I would, I would drink like two days straight or three days straight, or I would start drinking at one o'clock in the afternoon, or I would go to the bar in the morning, you know, or I would like drink and then go to work. So, and it, I mean, it definitely like went downhill. It's a chronic debilitating thing. Right. So it gets worse over time. Mm -hmm. So by the time I hit 26, I mean, it was, it was really bad. The other thing is like, I'm a woman and I'm a small woman and I have a highly sensitive nervous system. So I'm really not cut out to be a career alcoholic. You know, like I was, I drink with men in their sixties and they've been at this for like 40 years, you know, and they could really just take it. Like their bodies, I felt like were just sturdier than mine or something. I was like, I'm the wrong physical type to be doing this. Um, so it was really hard on me, but yeah, I quit when I was 26, St. Patrick's day, 2005. That was my last day drinking. All right. I was, I, I thought for, okay, that makes more, well, more sense than like, I thought you were like the day before St. Paddy's day, I'm not having another drink again. I was like, Whoa, that's a, that's a weird time. to. <laughs> no, no, it was a bad St. Patrick's day. Of course. Yeah, like every alcoholic on St. Patrick's day. And then you were like, that's it for me. Well, yeah. Every alcoholic, if you, if you ask them like, Oh, why did you quit? What happened? Like they all have a story. None of them are just like, I thought it would be healthier. They're all like, I ended up in jail or I wrecked my car, you know, but same thing for me. Like I had a really bad last drinking day. And then I woke up and my husband who uh, was my boyfriend and he was like, I'm out of here. Like you have to do something because this is not cool any longer. And I was like, Oh, okay. So that I kind of got an ultimatum. And then I was like, I'm going to quit for one year and I'll just like make everybody think that I'm okay. <laughs> and then I'll go back to it. So that was my original plan. I was going to quit for one year. Mm -hmm. did, did you um, go to AA pretty, was it pretty early, pretty soon after that? Or was that before? Or? Yeah, I think I started doing AA like six months in because I quit. And I after I, I was off it for a while, I was like, oh, I can really see how it was affecting me and the difference physically and emotionally and just in my life. Mm. Um, and then I found like an online forum that was like an AA forum. And then I started going to like, oh, I had a friend. She actually was in therapy for like an eating disorder. And I don't know why they sent her to AA, but so she had to go and I went with her like once. And then I really liked it. And then I started going to different meetings around San Francisco. Um, and I didn't do the whole, I didn't get a sponsor. I didn't like, I wasn't like active in it. I was just kind of a lurker. Like, you know, I'd come in and like sit in the back. And of course, people are telling their stories. It's so interesting. And I really liked it. And I got the big book of AA. Um, but that was my first like, oh, I think I'm having like my first steps towards awakening, I'll say. Of like, oh, there's a connection between my values and what I expect of myself and what I expect of other people and the energy I'm putting out in the world and getting drunk and addictions like this, all these things are connected. It's connected to my self-worth. Like, whoa, like th these were my first baby steps. Yeah. This is a, I'm feeling like integrity kind of in there, like a mismatch. In like oh a, yeah. You, yeah. You, um, yeah, with that, you know, I, I, I definitely want to get to our topic, our theme, because this, this is actually, I mean, for me, this segues right into our theme today, which is um, writing. Right. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll talk about that in a moment, but I guess the final thing I want to say on my side is um, I think any kind of addiction um, 
it's like uh, it was the same when I was reading about my kind of uh, my pornography addiction and my, my online chat room sex chat addiction. I'd read there was a lot of stuff about like the habit and the action itself. And for me, I knew it was like deeper rooted in the emotional mm-hmm. numbing out, avoiding stuff. Um, and you mentioned eating disorders that I've, that for whatever reason, that seems to be um, not an uncommon. Uh, I, I, I almost, I almost think that we deal with emotional pain in different ways and a lot of kind of like, um, teenage girls or young women go down the eating disorder route. I think, again, these are all different ways of um, really managing kind of emotional uh, uh, pain. I've I've recently started, I don't know if you've come across somatic uh, experiencing. No, I don't think so. Yeah. So I came across that in my kind of like, it's about, it's kind of like uh, you've got a practitioner who you share stuff with, but it's very embodied. So it's all about noticing what's kind of happening in your body as you're talking about certain things or even as you're kind of going about, I guess, your day-to-day life and kind of noticing what's going on before you make the decisions you make. And I guess what happens before you then, I don't know, jump into the addictive pattern mm-hmm. or behavior or whatever it might be. Um, so I've started that recently, um, which is quite interesting. There were a couple of things I came across through kind of my, I think the body keeps the score sent me on a bit of a path, this book. And then one of the things that was mentioned was neurofeedback, feedback and then kind of through, I think somehow stumbled across somatic experiencing. And it sounds like they're both catered to the same sort of thing. Neurofeedback really starts with the brain and kind of the waves and somatic experiencing is more embodied and just the more embodied stuff tends to speak to me. I'm very feelings based mm-hmm. and um, yeah. So really interesting but i'd love to hear about you said this the segue is nice into our topic today so oh yeah so i think so i i drank hard 19 to 26 and i could not write during that time and i'd always written when i was growing up i wrote throughout high school i wrote poetry um i had a bad experience in college with a creative writing professor which i've talked about in many places um but when i started really drinking I couldn't write anything. I mean, I lit it like I, I, I would try, like I would only try when I was drunk and nothing, you know, either nothing came out or something horrible came out. And then the next day I would be so ashamed and I would crumple it up and throw it out. And I really feel like, um, part of me, part of me drinking, obviously I had unhealed trauma. I had trauma from my childhood that had never been addressed. You know, I had grief, I had pain, I had anger, I had all that stuff, but for me as a writer, someone who was born to be a writer, my way of navigating the world, my way of processing the world emotionally is through writing. And I got to a place where I was so um, ill, like my energy was so out of balance that I could not do that thing. And I think that really contributed to drinking. And then when I, I stopped drinking March of 2005 and I started writing again in 2006, like, pretty, like I had my first year of sobriety and then I found a writing program and I started going every week. And the first thing I wrote was a memoir. And it just, I mean, Jess, it was like someone had just broken open a dam. It just unleashed. I would go in, we wrote for an hour together and I would just write like straight through, like every minute of the hour, I was just scribbling. It was like automatic writing. It was just pouring out of me. 
and it was so much stuff and it was so overwhelming and, but I needed to do it. That was another big step in my healing. And I think a lot of people miss that about writing, that it's not just about producing a book to sell or, you know, a short story for the contest. It's about your own healing, especially if you're writing memoir, I think. Yeah. And especially memoir. And I would like, for me personally, it's kind of like any writing. Um, And this is where, yeah, the point gets missed. We focus so much on, I don't know, writing to uh, call ourselves an author or to have people see our work or to, yeah, to all sorts of things. And we lose. So for me, it's like, if I'm not, I say creating because, um, I guess that's catering to people who do art or make music. Cause I think these are all different ways people, but yeah, I'm like you kind of, I'm a, I consider I'm a writer. That's my, uh, that, that's my outlet to express myself. It's such an important part of my healing. And actually if I'm not creating the space to focus on that and to just put out what needs to come out of me, I can trip myself up thinking about, the book going out into the world or other people seeing it or, you know, the blog post or the likes and all this stuff. I literally need to, it's why I see the creating and the marketing or the distributing as two very separate pieces, which I need to keep very separate. Um, so, yeah. And I also think that, I don't know, people write for different reasons. So I don't want to speak for other people, but I actually think, for the majority of people, if not all, on some level, whether they realize it or not, they are writing for, there is healing and growth coming on, going on when they write. Um, I just think that maybe kind of INFs or, you know, maybe intuitives in general, um, but certainly intuitive feelers really are close to that uh, writing to heal mm-hmm. um, space, if that makes sense. Well, and I think for INFs, it's not just writing to heal, but it's um, it's actually like a an energetic elimination process. Uh-huh. So like, you know, I was reading about detox and they say the body, people think of the body as detoxing through like urination or, you know, something like that. But one of the main ways you detox too is breathing because every time you breathe out and you're exhaling like carbon dioxide and all this stuff your body doesn't need anymore with every breath out, you're releasing, you're releasing the toxins and the things that your body doesn't need and that no longer serves it. And I think writing is like an exhalation process for mm-hmm. INF people. It's kind of like, that's how we breathe out our stuff. Like we take in all this stuff, we take in other people and their energy and observations about them and emotions and thoughts. And we read all these books and we're formulating all this stuff. And then when we like do the big breathe out, it's the writing. And if we don't let ourselves do that exhale, it's like it builds up and those toxins start to poison us. And that's what I felt like when I was drinking, I wasn't exhaling at all. I wasn't breathing out in that form of writing. And so it was just building up inside of me and slowly poisoning me. Yeah. It's like, I feel like drinking or other vices, whatever you might want to call them, they are like, I'm just picturing like a little kind of mask troll kind of like dancing being like, 
So <laughs> you want to breathe out, huh? So this stuff, have it, it's magic. It, it, it'll be easier than breathing out. Um, you'll feel way better. Like it takes you like in really awesome places. They don't tell you about um, some of the shitty places that also takes you to, but it's like, yeah, have this, it's easy. It'll fix, fix it all. Mm-hmm. Whereas, oh, that's beautiful. I've not, not heard that analogy. Like, I really like that a lot, Lauren. Um, well, I feel like absorb it- so much. You're right. Like, mm-hmm. I can be walking to the park and doing like a little loop like I did today. And it's like, I've noticed so much on what's going on around me and I've absorbed it in. I've absorbed it. Um, yeah, I love that. Breathing out. That's beautiful. I mean, there's a, there's a beauty to it, but there's also like, as I say, you're probably feeling like, but that feels right too. Like it, it, there's an efficiency to it because I, I do think that's the way we're made. And once you can see it like, oh, I'm just exhaling. So it doesn't always need to look pretty when it comes out. Like sometimes when you exhale, you do this like weird coughing, choking thing because your body needs to do that. There's also something in your throat you're trying to get out. Do you know what I mean? When your body's trying to like eject something out of it or release, it's not always pretty. In fact, it's usually messy Mm -hmm. and that's okay. Like that's a normal thing. Later, you can go through the waste product that's come out of you and like, pick out things and polish them up or, or rearrange them. And then you can kind of be the artist and the sculptor about it. But I think in that very first, just like dump onto the page, trying to like censor things or only take the pretty parts, it, it doesn't work. Like you just, you got to get it all out and then worry about it later. Yeah. Yeah. And um, one of the other things I was thinking about is obviously you've had this experience where quite early where in this first writing program, um, I don't know if it was your first, but certainly your first in a while, it sounds like where you were writing for an hour and it all came out. Mm-hmm. Um, it was my very first. I know you're a big advocate of a writing groups, but also like kind of uh, silent writing or kind of in person. Like um, I know you've done, um, I don't know what you're doing for your current course, but you've done like kind of, I'll, I'll also by the way, I, I I love, and of course, I know like just thoughtfully about every, everything that you've done because these are all things I've thought about and realized as I've kind of run my own similar stuff, like I've called it virtual co-working or writing or creating and other things. Um, but I love how you've made it open uh, to others, however um, different kind of com- comfortabilities, if that makes sense. So you can sign on without being on camera or you can be on camera if you wish. That's really important because it's nice because I know different people feel comfortable in different ways, especially us intuitives. And it can be quite intense actually, just being on camera with a lot of people and then trying to get in that writing space when we're absorbing all this other energy coming at us. Um, So yeah, I just want to say I loved um, just how you put that together. Oh yeah, it's so funny because, you know, I, I teach, I'm on Zoom all the time, I'm on YouTube and people assume that I'm really comfortable just with attention on me or, and it, I am like, I have that sage archetype. So I'm fine in the role of the teacher or if I'm like the spotlights on you, okay, cool. I'll just open up my mouth and talk. But when I go to retreats as a guest or I join classes as a guest, I don't participate. I sit in the back. I've gone to weekend retreats and not said one thing all weekend. Like I go to the dining hall and I see other people making friends and I'm like, oh, that must be nice. Wish I could do that okay, I'm just going to eat my food and go back to my room. Like I'm really, really shy. And so if I'm on a Zoom meeting and I'm not running it, I want my camera off. I feel really put on the spot if I can like 
see myself and I'm like, what if someone's looking at me? What if they think I look weird? Like I have a bunch of anxiety, so I get it. Like sometimes you just need to have the camera off. Sometimes you need to just have the freedom to not talk in the auditorium and just sit in the back and listen. Yeah. That's, that's how I roll. That feels good to me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, I guess the original point I made was like you write for, do you still write for an hour every week? Uh, I try right now I'm deep in revisions and I just can't have my head in two books at once. Right. So my current project, my really like I'm in the first draft project has been put on hold for the time being. And I'm, I'm just doing revisions right now. Re revisions of your, another project of yours. Of another, yeah. Of another novel. Yeah. So, and I'm not, that's not ideal. I'm not really happy with that. I'm, I feel antsy and frustrated and I can feel that the book I was in the middle of creating is like the characters are like, what happened? We are, we're waiting for you. We've been in this scene in the cafe forever. We're just like frozen. Come on. And I'm like, I can't, I'll come back in July. I don't know. Like I don't have time. Yeah. Hey, I know you've taught, I've, you, I, I've um, taken your intuitive writing course and you talk about this in that um, in terms of, I remember watching that. And, and again, I know there's no, it's not rules basis stuff, but I remember like one of the things you said was sometimes it'll just kind of flow out. And sometimes there'll be a really big chunky piece and it'll come out really slowly. And I'm just like, oh, wouldn't it be so nice if it just always flowed out of me all of the time. Um, but I guess in the context of you talking about breathing out, there are going to be times when it happens smoothly and easily and other times when you kind of choke up or kind of air gets stuck or you know whatever it might be mm -hmm. um and i also want to ask so um i think this came up in the last conversation we had where uh kind of we were talking about writing and our writing being especially writing books being for kind of us and kind of taking the pressure off of making uh i don't know if you go so far as say making an income from it because i know you put your books out there but making a living like like having to basically rely on that um did you ever at any point like want to because i know you call yourself a writing and a writing code did you ever at any point like want to be i don't know like a full-time author as it were you know i i don't know why it might be because um of the kinds of writers I idolized. So I came to it with a, a different mindset because I have a ton of students and clients who are like, I want to do this full-time. I want my full-time income to come from being a full-time author. And I want to be Stephen King. And I'm like, wow, that, that just sounds like a lot to me. I idolize more people like, um, like Charles Bukowski. And his thing was, he was like, I just need a minimum wage job that will not challenge me mentally so that I can use my mental energy for writing and I can still have money for rent or whatever room I'm renting at the moment. And I really, um, I really got that. Like I didn't want to work in factories and at the post office, like he did, you know, um, I didn't want to work in like really horrible jobs in 1950s LA. Like that wasn't what I was looking for, right. but when I, I was definitely intentionally looking for office jobs where I just kind of had to sit at a desk and I didn't have to do much and not much would be expected of me. I had a bunch of jobs where a lot was expected of me and I had no creative energy left over. So by 2010, I really was like, oh, I wanna write, 
And I know now, like I had finished my first book, I was revising it, the one I'd done in that writing program, the memoir. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I want to write books. And I know I have it in me now. And once I really realized like, this is what I want to do. I want to write books. Then I was like, I just need to look for a job that won't ask very much of me. Like I can just kind of show up or I can put it in my hours and then I can work on my stuff. And that has remained true. Even though I left that job, I love teaching and I love being an online entrepreneur, but part of it too, a very big draw for me is I'm like, I can do this and enjoy it and still have the energy and income I need to then go write my books. I feel like me not tying together income and my books is so freeing to to put this pressure on my, on my books that like, well, they need to be bringing in a certain amount of royalties every month or like, that just feels like too much to me. I can't speak for everyone. Cause I, I knew, I know authors who are like, I love it. Like I love marketing and I'm a thriller author and this is my jam. I'm not into it. I really like that. I'm like, I can put out a book next year or in the next five years. It doesn't really matter. It has nothing to do with my income. It's up to me. I can write fiction next or I can write nonfiction. Like I have total freedom, but th- that's my thing too, is I feel like once you start really tying the income to your books, you don't have so much freedom about what you can write. And I think that's just a hard truth. Like, or at least like you can't, if, if you are a successful thriller author and that's how you're making your income, you can write other types of books, but you're still going to have to market those thriller books that you already have, or, or make sure that you still are adding new books to that library. Like, you know, that's your niche and you've kind of tied yourself down to it. I don't want to tie myself down to anything. Yeah. And, you know, hearing you talk about Charles Bukowski, I kind of thought of the first conversation we had when I was like in my yoga studio that I was working from at the time. And you were like, yeah, I I remember actually initially being surprised that you had a regular job, which is interesting because I think perceptions are a very interesting thing because I think I'd seen you online and all your stuff. And I think you had uh, what I considered quite a substantial Twitter following. And I was like, oh, so this is, she must be just like a real life entrepreneur lady who, and so, yeah, so that was interesting. Um, But also I, it feels like, um, I don't know. Yeah. I guess different strokes for different folks, but for me, like you were doing, was it kind of like like the, the nature of your office work? It sounds like you had to organize a bunch of stuff. So for me, that would be quite stressful, but I guess for you, was it quite low, kind of low energy? It was easy. I know I, I and I knew you'd, like, have like, you'd, you'd have like kind of pockets of time where you, you'd have to yourself. Um, that being said, I know you don't always, you, until you get a job, you don't know what the people are going to be like. And I know you've had narcissists and what have you. So you've had some not so kind of easy rides as well. Uh, but yeah, I think that job was one which um, served you well, it sounds like. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was a, I think honestly, the universe brought it to me. It really, because I didn't, I I was wanting a job like that. But then when I really got in it, I was like, oh, this is weird. There's not much to do. Like, there's really not like I need to sign for packages and, you know, make sure the forms are in order and filed and organize lunch on Fridays, you know, and my bosses did not care about me at all. Like they just didn't care. They were like, as long as she shows up for work, like we don't care what she's doing. You know, they would say hi to me, but they were, they were not trying to like get me to be a go-getter or achieve more. They were like, I don't know. She's the secretary. 
And it was like, because I was just the secretary, it was like, no one saw me. And I really liked that. I was like, oh, um, and it was interesting because I was doing all this on the side at work. I was like working social media and working my blog and I would go out, you know, my car, on my lunch hour and take coaching calls. And then we got acquired by this bigger company and they sent a team of people. And one of the guys was like a tech guy and we were in a group and he goes, he looks at me, and he goes, I know you. And I'm like, I don't, we've never met before. Like, I don't think so. And he's like, I know you from Twitter. I write sci-fi books. And I was like, <laughs> I, know. I really jazz up. You could have seen because nobody at work knew about what I was doing. Like nobody at work knew I had a second thing going on. I just, I mean, my mouth dropped. I was like, okay, let's go over here and talk about that. <laughs> you know, so, it was hilarious. Like, uh, it, I'm sure, yeah. To me, that sounds, it just sounds, there's something cool about that. Like, Oh, I did not think it was cool at all. It, it really, cause I already have privacy issues and I had a certain identity at work where I was like, I'm generic Lauren. I don't have a life. You know nothing about me and that's fine. And then this guy's like, blah, blah, blah in front of this group. And I was like, oh my God. Yeah. So you kind of quite nicely compartmentalize that. Um, yeah. I, I'm, what, what's coming up for me right now as you say that is, I recently started posting stuff on my LinkedIn and my LinkedIn is full of financial services people who I worked with in my city days. And I'm like, who I am now and this stuff I'm sharing feels very far removed from that world. Mm-hmm. So yeah I, 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 yeah, I can kind of, even though it's kind of different, yeah, I can kind of understand that. Um, yeah, you were just, it sounds like you were quite happy and comfortable knowing that you were, you were to them, you were secretary and you just had this own little other stuff that you were, it was almost like another side to you, like another world, which um, was separate from them, but it worked quite nicely for you because it felt, you felt safe, I guess. Well, and you know, that it goes back to Byron Katie, how she says like, drop your story. Like I had this story in my head that, well, my boss thinks this about me and my manager thinks this about me and this is the way they see me. And I'm controlling that identity. I can't have this stranger coming in and, you know, upsetting the boat. Right. That was my story. I Maybe my boss had already found me on Twitter. Maybe my boss had read my book and was like, yeah, I hated it. I'm not going to say anything to her. Like, I don't know. And I think so much of the time, especially with like something like writing, we get this story going, you know, like we will write a blog post or an article and we'll put it out on the internet and we don't get very much of a response. And we instantly go into this story that like a lot of people saw it and didn't want to read it or a lot of people read it and rejected it when really like most of the time no one even saw it we're not doing the right marketing stuff or the internet so saturated with stuff like no one even saw your thing but we immediately go in this story of like people saw that I had something out that I posted something and they didn't like it and now I'm rejected and I did the wrong thing. And I wrote, and I'm a failure. I'm a bad writer. And like, none of that's true. We just kind of need to drop the story around it. Yeah. I think something else that I know I do is I'm using the LinkedIn thing as an example. I feel like when people engage with something like one-to-one or whether it's a conversation or reading some of your stuff, it's different to the kind of, I don't know, like when it's, you know, like 
because you get a dynamic when there's a group of people like an office dynamic or when there's a group of people even if like someone were to see my thing on linkedin like an old colleague and like share it with another colleague and they'd kind of be like in my head like be like that's like jazz is really weird now you know whatever they might think so i think i jumped to the feeling i got when i was in group settings in the city of just like ego and like comparison and like kind of alpha and all this stuff and i'm like well actually and then you know i think i don't know i just think connecting like one-to-one engaging with something is a very different space to like a group space i don't know if i'm articulating myself very well but yeah i think you definitely are i think people in groups do tend to adopt the mainstream opinion more like everyone's like i don't want to be the odd man out like i better go along with whatever everyone else is doing right um, but I think it, again, it, it comes back into the, like, drop your story. I think when we're confronted with a group of people, it's way easier for us to go into this story of like, they're judging me. Like I'm the weird one. They don't like it. Or even like you said, like, oh, I feel a lot of ego and competition going on here. Even if that's true, even if, if you're like with a group of people and they're all business people and they're like, all we want to do is make money. All we care about is status. Ha <laughs> ha. You know, that's their thing. Like right. that's just their world your world is different. The two worlds can exist at the same time and you can sit and be with them and be like, okay, I'm kind of getting a little glimpse into their world and how it works. Hmm, That's interesting. I wouldn't choose to do things that way, but okay. Like this is still, I can still explore what they're doing Mm -hmm. without Mm -hmm. you having to like agree with it or disagree with it or judge it right back or worrying if you're being judged. I think that's the thing we get into is like, we see, we feel like, oh, I'm I'm with someone who maybe doesn't understand me or I put my writing out there and I got a response that I feel weird about. So we're kind of like, I don't know how they see me. Like I need to form an opinion about this. We don't always need to form an opinion. That's yeah, the thing. Yeah. It's like, we really don't always need to form an opinion, but I think a lot of times we think that's what's being called of us in any given situation. Yeah. And I think there's, I don't know if you can relate to this. There's something about, um, having an online identity my happy little INFP INFJ world and then like in person feeling like a weirdo uh and I think I'm now kind of slowly learning to be more of myself and bring that part of myself to my real life and integrate those Mm-hmm. But what I can see happen, I think, for a lot of people is you've got this online thing and this off uh, and this offline thing. Um, and whereas it can be really useful and really amazing to like meet others like you and get information from others like you, and you can be on the, 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 the forums and the Reddit and Twitter and whatever else. And then like, you know, you might be spending all of these hours at your computer all day and then actually in your real life still feel really, um, I don't know, still feel like you're not yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like that's a thing that happens for a lot of kind of introverts and, and intuitives. Um, and I don't know, maybe it's a process um, of kind of learning to be more of yourself in person. But the whole, again, again, it's an identity and it's a story thing. We can develop like a persona and like a safe comfort blanket of our online world and in person actually feel in our in the real world just feel quite you know around our friends or family or random people we meet 
still feel very um, odd and different and uh, kind of, uh, yeah, I guess insecure and unconfident, if that makes sense. Well, a couple things, I think, because so many INFs, myself included, um, we are a very self-conscious people. Right. And that's good and bad. I mean, we're self-conscious in the, in the way that we examine our own thoughts. We examine our own emotions. We're always evaluating, like, how do I feel? Why do I feel that way? What caused that? Can I shift that? Is this, is this good? Is this bad? Like, we're always doing that. That's just part of how we are. Yeah. So I think from a young age, we go out and we interact with other people and we bring that self-consciousness. And I know for years, like, I didn't even know what I had with social anxiety, but like, I would think about what I was going to say before I said it and I would pick it apart. And then I would say something because I had to, because the conversation's moving on without me. And then I was like, that was stupid. Why did I say that? And I would just, I was just so focused on what am I saying? How do I look to other people? What do they think of me? Do they think I'm weird? I said the wrong thing for me, what really shifted. And when the anxiety dropped away, I just let go of me. And now in any interaction, I'm like, I'm just going to focus on the other person. I'm just going to not even worry about me. Like, it's like, I'm not even here. I'm just going to actually look at them, pay attention to them, see what they're saying. If it seems like they want to talk about something, I'm going to ask them some questions. If it seems like they don't want to talk, I'm going to leave them alone. Not in like a people pleasing way. No, but, but also just in an aware way. we are aware. And so we're actually very good at doing that. And if they want to get to know me and ask me questions, I'll answer them. Honestly, most people don't. I find that 95% of people are not interested in getting to know the other person. They just want to talk about themselves. This is non-INF people. Mm-hmm. They just want to talk about themselves. And that's fine. Like, I'm willing to come to the table and be like, okay, I'll spend 20 minutes and this is just going to be about you. And then I can move on. And when I take that approach, I don't come away like, did I say the wrong thing? Do they think I look weird? Oh my God, they think I'm, you know, new age or a weirdo. Like, I'm just not worried about it. I'm like, I don't know. I said what I could. I thought that thing about Atlantis might be helpful to them. They might think it was weird, but they got their 20 minutes from me and I'm done now. You know, so, and that helped. That just took a lot of the pressure off. Like, and again, I'm using this with people that, I don't expect to form deep connections with these are not my best friends. Like, do you know what I mean? These are like, Oh, I want, I ran into the neighbor out on the street and we stopped and chatted or I ran, you know, I was at the, I ran into an old work colleague, like someone where I'm like, we're not really on the same wavelength. I already know that. But before I would get all worked up of like, we're not on the same wavelength. And I know that and they don't like me. And now I just let it go. And I'm like, I'm just going to ask them questions about them and move on. Yeah. It, it helps. It's a lot, it's a lot more freedom. It feels a lot more relieving. It takes you out of yourself, doesn't it? Um, on the subject of social anxiety, um, just wanted to mention uh, Roxana, honestrocks.com. Yeah, she's um, great. I get her newsletter. I need to email her because I read her newsletters every time they come in. Yeah, she's awesome. She, I, I interviewed her for the podcast recently um, and she was doing, um, I think last month, I want to say April or May, uh, challenge like she does these 30 day challenges and she does them pretty often where she does them herself but there are these challenges to um, help you kind of step out and kind of get out of social anxiety because um, yeah she was super honest uh, about how during the pandemic that kind of kind of set her back a little bit social anxiety wise because she got used to not being out 
and about in public and whatnot. Um, so yeah, she was doing this challenge to kind of um, kind of face her fears again, as it were, and encourage others to join us. So yeah, honestrocks.com. She's really, really cool. Well, you know, I'm glad you said that about the pandemic, because I think that I just figured this out about myself the other day. And I think it's an added layer for INF people. Mm-hmm. But I was at the playground with my son and here, you know, people I'm half vaccinated. People are still wearing masks. And, you know, I had my mask on, but I realized I was another woman and her kids showed up at the playground and I got anxious and I realized I'm absolutely not afraid of getting COVID at all. I never have been. That's not an issue for me. I don't know why, but I don't have any fear around getting it. Mm-hmm. But when I'm out in public, I'm really worried that other people are uncomfortable with my presence. Yeah, me too. Like, I don't want them to think I'm too near them or I don't have my mask the right way. Yeah. Like, I really worry about other people's comfort levels and other people being anxious. And, you know, when we've had in the States, people are protesting, they don't want to wear masks and people will walk in the store without a mask. And I understand if you have a medical condition, but I'm always like, but why do you want to make everyone around you anxious? That sounds like hell to me. Like that actually causes me anxiety. The thought that I'm making someone else anxious. Yeah. And I think that's an added level for people who, you know, INFJs and INFPs is like, well, now, like we were the anxious ones before, but now everyone around us is anxious and we're kind of monitoring that and feeling that and processing that. So it's like another added layer. It really is. I can really relate to that. Like I, um, cause I'm the same again, for whatever reason, don't know why, like I, I'm just not, yeah, it's, it's not a concern for me. And then I was in, I remember going to the supermarket quite early on in my mask and having other people around me. And I think it was, I actually, initially it was quite weird just having people around me all wearing masks. That was like a new thing, but also, yeah, I'm also very aware of, uh, like giving a wide birth like so and but then actually I'm also then like also if this person isn't that anxious I also don't want to don't want them to think that I'm super anxious yeah I don't <laughs> so want like, them to no, no, worry no. about I'm my anxiety I'm, I'm actually totally cool with it like we can yeah we can do that I, I will hug you I'll do what you know <laughs> yeah yeah but I feel like that's how I am with emotional interactions oh, too. like I want I want people to know I'm cool with it. I don't want them to worry that like if somebody says something to me and I can tell they think maybe they shared too much information or they feel awkward, then I'm like, I have to make sure they don't feel awkward. I have to say something even more awkward so that they know that I'm awkward too. And and, and sometimes it's one of those where you do that and it's like, actually, it might've been okay, but by doing that, they're, they're, they're like- <laughs> Then oh, it's overkill. That was overkill. <laughs> I didn't think I was being that awkward, but now I think I was really awkward because of the way that she's reacted. Yeah. So um, that whole thing about being neutral, observing neutrality, whether it's life, whether it's your, whether it's coaching, I'm all for it. It seems like. Well, I think, you know, this also relates to writing. Like I said, you know, when you're so self-conscious and you're having those inner and you're like, I look weird. They think I'm weird. I'm doing the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. it's the same thing in your writing when you put your writing out in the world you're so super hyper focused on the flaws like it's a bad story the ending's bad ah and if you think about it just as when you're having an interaction with another human there have been billions of humans who have come before you we all have said the wrong thing we've all had a blemish on our skin you know we've all like been awkward or weird you are not the first human who has been weird in some way, (laughs) just like the story you put out, the article you put out, 
you're not the first person to put out an article or a story. There's tons of them out there. Some are good, some are bad, some are better than others. Mm -hmm. It doesn't really matter. <laughs> you know, you're going to have more interactions. You're going to put more stuff out there. Being so hyper-focused on the flaws of one conversation with someone or one article you wrote, it's not going to get you anywhere. It just goes nowhere fast. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I wanted to ask you um, kind of with regards to writing. Um, I know there's a lot of context you've got as a writer yourself, but also you've worked with a lot of other writers. Um, in terms of kind of fiction, nonfiction, I guess kind of there can be hybrids. I, I know people have kind of written part autobiographical memoir stuff, which can blend elements. Um, are, are INFs intuitives drawn more to one or the other? Is it both in equal measure? What, what's your sense? Of um, I would say, I'd say there's three big ones that INFP and INFJ people are drawn to. So there's fiction. Um, memoir and self-help right that's what I see yeah like the people who want to write um, like a history book you know or a military history book or a business book I feel like they're a different kind of type like if an INF person wants to write that kind of book there's usually a twist of like well I want to write a book on World War II but I want to write it from the perspective of why of the social injustice aspect Understood. do you know what I mean yeah yeah, but yeah, those are the, the big three I see. Yeah. Um, and, oh. Yeah, you, you mentioned earlier, you know, when we were talking about, um, okay, there's a couple of things here. I, I want to go a little bit back to um, silent writing, writing in a group. Um, I don't know about you, but this is my thing. I feel like there is, whether it's of course in person or I'm actually amazed at how well video stuff and energy is a thing over video. Mm -hmm. Like when it came to, cause I still do a bit of tutoring work, tutoring over video for the first time. And like, I always thought, no, the in-person experience is too important. I am robbing these people of their money if I'm not doing it in person. And I was like, wow, this actually works due to mm -hmm. coaching and what I've experienced due to now like, therapy i'm working with a somatic experiencing practitioner um and then you've got the group work whether it's kind of group therapy or kind of um you know aa writing in a group there is something about the energy of others um which is just really warming and really healing and can actually help us almost share our own stuff and not be not be aware of everyone else around us and stop us, but it can almost contribute to the writing process. Is that something you've experienced or can you speak to that at all? Oh yeah. I mean, I feel like I, I thank God I found the silent writing program I did in 2006 yeah. because I couldn't do it on my own. Like wow. I literally, it wasn't just like, Oh, I'm kind of a procrastinator. It was like, I would sit down and have a panic attack. Like I could not write on my own. It, it was paralyzed. I couldn't do it. Do you know why and that was? I was fear. It was fear. It was fear of expressing myself. Um, I was extremely self-critical. Um, I just, I, I honestly had no idea what I was doing. That was the other thing. It was I think like, also, was it vulnerability in terms of the content or what you were writing about? I mean, you went quiet. It was all of it. It was all of it. You're writing about I mean, your a life, lot right? of it too was just like 
I hadn't done it in so long. It was like somebody put me on a forklift and they were like, drive it. And I'm like, I don't know. Like I kind of have a rough idea of what to do, but I don't really know. And there was so much wrapped up in it, but I was so emotionally worked up. I could not do it on my own. So going, and this is where my like anxiety about other people looking at me and judging me, going to a room where I sat in a big circle for an hour. And I knew if I stopped writing, people would see me. Not that they were like watching me. They were concentrated on their own stuff, but they could look up and be like, oh, Lauren's not writing anymore. She hasn't written for the past 10 minutes. So I felt pressure. Like it was like the straight A student in me came out and I was like, I'm supposed to be writing here. I want everyone to see I'm writing. It was like the peer pressure pushed me and it pushed me past that inertia. Uh I was in that program for a year and then I started my own, which I did for, you know, six years. And after that time, I was like, oh, I can do this on my own. I've built up enough muscle and stamina and experience that I can do this on my own. But I needed those groups in the first days. I wouldn't have gotten through it without them. I I badly needed them. And I think that's a a lot of writers have never experienced a silent writing group, especially one that meets regularly where they know the people. But it can be life-changing regularly get to know the people so i am a little bit different but the mastermind kind of program i've been a part of and now i run it myself um and, and it isn't silent of course um but the familiarity you get and i kind of feel like um the more time you spend with someone or a group of people consistently whether it's in person or over video i i always like to think of relationships forming in terms of roots and start the roots kind of entwining. You've got this circle and eventually it might start out as like little thin little twigs and people eventually catch on and then it becomes like a consistent loop. And then you start getting other branches and leaves and you get this really solid foundation and it feels really intimate. It feels really warm and supportive and loving and encouraging. Um, It's Mm -hmm. really powerful. Well, and just that someone else cares, you know, like when I started my own, it was... I think it was at the end of it in San Francisco, the one I did for five years in San Francisco, it was five of us, sometimes oh. seven. Oh, so met. pretty small. Oh yeah. It was I very small. How small it was. I was picturing like a huge big room full of people. No, you know what? We would always have people coming in and out. Like some nights we would have 10 people. I would find people on Craigslist. People would, you know, people in the cafe itself would just drop in. Somebody yeah. would bring a friend. So we had a lot of like randos show up. But there was a core group. There was a core group of us for five years. And we really supported each other. Like we went to each other's performances. You know, we we actually staged like little read alouds where we pretended we were like at an author event in a bookstore and we set up stuffed animals and then, you know, ourselves and we would read pieces. We'd make a whole Saturday out of it. But just the fact that someone else cared about your work as a writer, because no one really cares. I mean, sometimes like your partner cares, your mom cares, but not really, like they don't really get it. So to have even like a couple other writers who know you're writing a book, they know it's hard for you. They know you're like slogging through it. It means something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Reading aloud, like yeah, that must be, again, uh, really powerful. Um, it's on my list. I've not read it yet, but um, Shelley Francis's book about, um, I forget the, t- I know she's, uh, I'm referring to the one about writing and the, um, based on the circle of trust. Mm, I haven't read that one. I reckon that would be so fascinating. Um, 
because it speaks to yeah all of this and about um even kind of going into kind of asking for feedback but actually asking for the sort of feedback that you're looking for and not necessarily you know you might be needing um you might not be needing someone to kind of pull apart the plot um as opposed to i this is the sort of feedback that i'm after but yeah these small groups i find as well like um yeah, groups of kind of four, five, six, maybe up to eight, you really get the intimacy. You can start to uh, lose it a little bit as it gets bigger. And I'm almost tempted to say, like, if it gets to like 10, 12, kind of um, mm-hmm. splitting it off into two smaller ones. Um, and then maybe still coming together and doing stuff. But yeah, um, there's something about um, having a, a smaller group feel and not like a you know huge kind of classroom of 30 type deal, you know? Well, it also is like plugging into a bigger battery. Right. I mean, quite literally. And I think a lot of times when we talk about energy, just because of the way we were raised in our culture, we're like, well, energy is real, but it's kind of metaphorical too, you know, but we're like, really, it's real. And if you have a group of people and with my writing groups now, like in the, the online class I'm doing now, I always do like a guided meditation at the beginning of each silent writing session. And I really have us like, join in the circle, you know, like I did one yesterday. It was our first one. And I had everybody like walk into a big room and look around and everybody from the class is there. And there's a lot of comfy furniture and there's sunlight pouring through the windows. And it's this beautiful room and we're all together. And we know that we're supporting each other. Like that really, it almost like um, it creates this energy field that you're in. So you are enhanced. Like you started out as like, you know, a little AAA battery, and then you're like a nine volt because you've got the power of the group. So you will have more stamina to keep pushing through. You'll have more patience not to abandon the page. You know, you'll just kind of stick with it. Whereas if you're on your own, you're like, okay, I wrote for 20 minutes. I don't really feel like doing anymore. (laughs) You know, in the group, you're like, okay, I got 40 more minutes. I guess I'll just like sit here and stare at the page and see if something comes. And that can be incredibly powerful. Really powerful. And you know, just hearing you describe that and talk about that because this is happening in the comfort of your own room it can almost be more powerful than in person and it can all be quite daunting and you know even if you've got that kind of i don't know you're sat in a field and you've got the sun in it can still be intense you know if you're arriving like that but in the comfort of your own room when you're taking people through um that i don't know you know what to call it uh into into another energetic field into another like dimension it feels like in some ways that's what you're doing like with um um yeah i don't know really powerful sounds really well, yeah, amazing. It's funny because my students some emailed me afterwards they're like it was so weird but when you said that i could immediately see everybody in the room and i'm like well yeah they were all there <laughs> like you're not imagining it like they're all there you just didn't know to look in that way before i said it uh-huh. And then when I said it, you were like, oh, let me swivel my third eye over there. Oh, I see everybody. Whoa, everyone's here, you know, really but cool. like they're really here. It, and that's how it works. It's not um, they don't have to be in the same room for you, for you to feel their presence and feel their love. Yeah. Yeah, really cool. Um, I am. I, um... I guess going going back to again, it's really pertinent this about the making money from the writing. Um, do you again? I know 
kind of a, a, as a coach, you're all about kind of holding space and asking questions and reflecting and et cetera, et cetera. But when do people ask you for advice about kind of making money from writing? And, and do you kind of offer advice to people about that? It depends. I always try to see um, the people who, okay, how can I say this? Um, everybody's bringing a different energy to it, right? right? Everybody has a different energy pattern around their writing. And right. um, the money piece can be very indicative of what kind of energy pattern they're running. So I used to get emails from people who are like, I need to quit my day job in two months and I need to become a full-time writer by then. And I need you to help me find an agent. And how am I going to make money? So I'm like, Oh, the energy pattern they're running is scarcity, impatience, control, um, you know, kind of uh, some energy programs that I'm not really interested in anymore. Right. And I don't think it's going to be helpful for us to work together. So those people I don't even work with. Um, Some people I work with, I can feel that they have this glowing creative kernel in them. They have this like artist inside screaming to get out, but they're running um, old belief systems that say, well, if I can't make money at this, then I'm wasting my time. And I can kind of parse out like, oh, that's something that's like parental baggage or like that's something they're ready to let go of actually. They're not interested in running that anymore. And that's why they're coming to me, but they don't yet know that, but that's something I can work with. Like I can get in there and start loosening those blocks. Understood. Do you know what I mean? So that's, that's where I start with people. I'm like, what kind of energy programs are they running? Are they interested in remaining with those programs? Or are they interested in, in, you know, uninstalling some of those programs, bringing new stuff in and how can I be helpful in any way with that? And that's where a lot of those money conversations go because on the surface, it seems so logical right? Well, I have to make income. I can't do this. If it's not bringing money, then it's a waste of time. Then it's just a hobby. Like I hear all, it's the same stuff. And even when they say it, you can hear my voice change. It's like they're parroting these phrases they've heard from other people and they sound rushed. They sound hurried. They sound under pressure. They don't sound happy. I've never heard anyone say those phrases and be like, yeah, you know, I think it just has to make money. Like if it's not making money, total waste of time. Like I never see people present that way, you know? So I just read their energy and I'm like, okay, let's work with that. That's the actual problem. But that's coaching. Coaching, like 90% of people come with me and they're like, here's my problem. And I'm like, oh, that's not your problem at all. That's, That's what you think is your problem. And there's something way deep under there that's the actual problem that's making you think that's the problem. So let's get to that, Uh which takes some time. Yeah. Yeah, that it's um, and I feel like that's more that's an intuitive hit, like knowing, seeing someone's potential, and that's potential in like an, in its neutral form to change, as opposed to someone who might be stuck in a place. Um, you know, we've talked about kind of being in a victim space, and um, never say never in terms of someone coming out of that, but it's like you can kind of sense that actually the vibe I'm getting is I'm not going to be able to, and it doesn't sound like you want to come out of that. Um, but yeah, the, um, from, from, from my side, and like I say, I, I like the way you phrase it and talk about everyone's kind of bringing a different energy to it. And there's no judgment here, but I feel like for a lot of folks, it's 
would be healthy to distance themselves from the, 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 the I guess the the money side and not be attached to that. Um, I think uh, you know I said to you the full time in the authors I've come across uh, have other parts coaching and courses that they offer teaching people how to be indie authors, right? Um, or they have other work. Like there's a lot of people, I guess, in terms of the people I'm thinking about, kind of some of whom we know who are kind of authors, um, they're making their income in other ways, which isn't from their writing. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe, you know, everyone's got different circumstances. You know, some people, for example, might have a partner who's the breadwinner. And they can kind of write and they want to make money from their writing, but they're still able to maintain that sense of freedom with their writing. I just think that for so many people, like it's freeing not for that to have to be your, where you're making your money from. I'm not saying not to make any money from because. No, not at um, all. I, I personally think one of the joyous things about this whole journey, as well as my own healing. um, Again, I think energetically, uh, as I'm putting stuff on the page, the energy that's coming out of that into that fiction or nonfiction or whatever, or that hybrid or whatever it might be, is being received energetically by someone else just as they need it. Um, and that's part of it. They're able to receive it. I can get paid for my stuff. It's great. We're talking about, you know, resi- like re- residual income is quite a fun thing. Like I quite like the idea of, you know, five, 10 years down the line being like, oh, wow, like I've made that much this month for something I hadn't given any thought to because of all that work that I've put in, but not saying to myself like I used to, okay, Jazz, you need to make five grand a month from, um, and maybe I think I'm speaking more widely now, just not just my writing, um, but um, kind of INF club and all that stuff. Um loosening myself up a bit from expectations, especially around kind of the, the, the yeah, writing books, especially. Uh, I don't know what you're like when it comes to your courses, actually, because again, I know there, there is a little bit more, would you say, impetus to make money and to be able to provide and or, or, or There not. is, but there's not, because the way I've set things up, I have so many different streams. Right. You know what I mean? So like this last course I did, I was like, I don't know if it's going to be that popular. Like I did a procrastination and perfectionism course that was super popular. And this one, I was like, I want to bring the joy back. I don't know if it's going to be that popular, Mm -hmm, but I mm -hmm. felt okay. I was like, I kind of don't care if it is like, if only 12 people show up, cool. That's who is supposed to show up in the circle this time. And I'm okay with that because I've got coaching and I've got royalties and you know what I mean? Like I've got different streams going on. So I'm not like, there's not all this pressure on one stream ever. You know, and I can kind of like go back and forth. And also I can think of different things to do. I'm like, okay, well, I need to make up a little bit more income this month or next month. Like what's something cool I could do that I've never done before that I could maybe sell, you know? So I've gotten a lot of like good ideas that way. I do want to say too, I want to go back to, you know, you said the pressure on the money for writers. Yeah. I think it's so important. Um, and it's not like this for all writers, but I see this with so many writers where, they've got this idea that they need a certain thing. Like I need this to be my full-time income. I need to get an agent. I need to be an Amazon bestseller. I need this, I need that. And what it comes down to, you're waiting for someone else to tell you you're okay. 
Right. That's right. what it is at the very core of it. You're waiting for someone else to tell you you're a writer. You're waiting for someone else to tell you that you're a good writer. You're waiting for someone else to approve of you and say, you're not wasting your time. You should do this. You're waiting. You're waiting on someone else to come in and tell you you're okay. And no one else can do that for you. No one. Really, they can't. You have to tell yourself you're okay. Well, and codependency you, is coming, coming to mind. If way. you can't tell yourself you're okay, then you're not going to be okay. <laughs> you know, and I know that that kind of sucks. Like you might have to do a lot of work to get to the place. I, for many years, I could not tell myself I was okay. I was waiting for everyone around me to tell me that I was worth listening to, that I was worth being friends with, that my writing was good, you know? And then I just hit a point one day where I was like, I can't wait around anymore. You know, I just can't, there's, the time is not like infinite. I can't wait around anymore for all these people to show up and tell me I'm okay. You got to tell yourself you're okay as a writer. Is that a, and conscious, that mean, is that a conscious belief for you, Lauren? Or yeah. does that happen in your psyche through, I don't know what? No, it, you know, it really happened when I self-published. Like once I self-published, I was like, oh, I had spent the past five years querying and trying to get an agent. Every time I got rejected, I felt horrible and I felt like I was in despair. And I was like, I'm having this miserable experience around writing because I'm waiting for things to happen in a certain way, in the way that I think they should happen, mm -hmm. in the way that means that I have, I've been given permission. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. the committee has shown up and said, Lauren Sapal is a writer. She's good enough to get an agent. She's good enough to get published. She is a writer. That committee was never coming. You know, it was never coming. And even if that committee had shown up, I would have felt very quickly after that, that I needed another committee. That's what I saw. Like the one, the first committee was never going to be enough, you know, cause it, it can't just be one person tells you you're okay. It has to be like over and over. And that's where you get into people are always people pleasing and always approval seeking. And that was me. And once I self-published and I was like, I don't know what's going to happen. It doesn't really matter. What matters is that I think I'm okay. I think this book is good enough to be a book. That's I've read like a thousand books and I think my book could be a book. Maybe not like the Nobel prize winning book, but a book. A book <laughs> That's yeah. good enough. It's a book. And, and the thing is with agent or, you know, getting that publishing deal, whatever it might be, you still, you can, the act of getting there, you're kind of burning yourself out because it's not nice to be in that uh, scarcity and kind of rush and hurry. Um, and uh, I remember we were talking about, I can't remember what the context was, but you were like, just like jazz, like um, read, um, oh, what's the book? Not, it's not, the surrender experiment oh yeah like this stuff is like i need yeah it's like that's that's what i know that's what i know is the energy i want to embody like the path i want to go down but mm -hmm. then yeah kind of day to day you can get sucked in you know like um into yeah looking at the metrics or the stats and all this and that and the other um and uh and then, you know, the other thing is, you know, then you get that deal and you're working with that agent and it's like, oh, they want to, they want to change and shift your story and all this and that and, and the other. 
That's why I was really excited when I met Shelley, just in different ways, because I was like, I've not, not met anyone doing what you do, who is doing that whole author coaching and acting with integrity and best interests in mind, as opposed to, you know, I need to be this genre and that and the other. So, um, yeah, it's also really cool to hear that you've built a system that lets you have different streams. Um, again, I think knowing you, part of that feels like it's conscious uh, in terms of the planning part of it. I feel like has just kind of unfolded, but I do. Would it be fair to say there has been some conscious thought and planning behind that? Yeah, well, I always knew. I mean, years ago when I was reading you know, a bunch of different entrepreneurs and their blogs. Like I was like, oh, I totally get the multiple income stream thing. Like that made sense to me because I already, I never really felt comfortable just working at like a job. Cause I was like, what if they fired me next week? I always lived paycheck to paycheck. You know, I've never been great with money. I'm better these days, but I'm, you know, I'm a very kind of like dreamy INF and like God will provide, <laughs> you know? So I've never really been like, yeah, I've got like a 401k going like, so I really was like the multiple streams make sense to me. Like the fact that you can build something and you build a system and then you just let it run. I was like, I get that because I, and I think INFJs are really good with that. Where like you said, didn't that stress you out organizing things? I'm like, no, I'm actually really good at putting together systems and organizing things like that feels natural to me. Mm -hmm. So like, oh, I'm just going to build like a little system and then turn it on and then let it run like that. I get that. And so once I realized like, okay, that's what I want to do. And I started, you know, I've told you like Steve Pavlina, he's a blogger. He's one of my heroes. Yeah. Um, I really watched how he just followed his passions. You know, he was like, I really want to do it to do a conference. And I did that. And then I really want to do like a year long membership club. And I did that. And that didn't sound appealing to me, but I loved coaching. I knew that. I didn't want to be dependent on that for everything though. Like I can't coach 10 hours a day and I don't want to, it's, but I it's, love it. It's not, it's not energy. It's not scalable energy wise, is it? No, but, but I would feel, I think a real um, loss if I stopped coaching and that might change. Like last year, I thought I kind of had a glimpse where I was like, Oh, I think I'm going to stop coaching. And then yeah, that faded. And I was like, no, I think I'm seeing like a glimpse in like maybe a few years down the line. I'm not sure. Maybe I was just kind of burned out. Yeah. But right yeah. now I'm like, no, I feel good about coaching. I like that. But I love teaching too. And the group dynamic is to, like the class I'm in doing right now. It's so fun, like to have a Facebook group and the people are showing up and introducing themselves and, and people always cluster up after my classes and go form their own writing groups. And I love it. Yeah. So cool. I love my class. And then I love writing and I love writing fiction. So I'm like, I want to do all the things that I like doing and the multiple income stream is a model that lets me do that. Yeah. So it's part conscious and it's part like I do just kind of go in the moment. Yeah. Well, like, yeah, I feel like um, you're, you, you call yourself a writer and a writing coach, but especially this is the sense I'm getting the last one, two, three years. Um, you're well you know we talk about shamanism and all this other stuff and you're talking on this aquarian wisdom summit apologies i can't remember the name exactly it feels like you're sharing more pieces of yourself and being more broad rather than i don't know necessarily necessarily having to be like okay i've just got to write about you know writing and the craft of writing it can be more mm -hmm. overarching and um 
with regards to INF Club, like I think I've got sucked into a little bit of the narrative out there of, oh, you need to hone in and focus a niche. And every time I try and do that, I'm like, oh. So it's like, um, I just kind of want to express different parts of myself and cater to the different things that I'm interested in and kind of trust that, um, yeah, kind of it'll speak to those who it, 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 it's meant to, even if, you know, in the shorter run, maybe I could kind of be a little bit more targeted and narrow and I could experience better results. I'm like, no, no, because that's not what I'm about. And I'm just going to trust it. And I want to feel good, you know, even if it takes a little bit more time to, uh, for things to unfold or gather momentum or, you know, whatever you want to call it. Well, I just read this book on uh, Rudolf Steiner. I think I brought him up during our previous conversation yeah, too. So. But he was this guy, he was just kind of like into everything. Um, he was a thinker and a philosopher, you know, in the early 20th century. And he was, you know, very interested in biodynamic farming. I think he invented it. So he was, he was very interested in agriculture. He was very interested in education. He was a philosopher, like a philosopher of the mind. He was very interested in philosophy also really interested in Atlantis and extraterrestrials and magic and the reality behind the reality. He was just interested in all this stuff. And what he did, like he would read and read and read and read. And just like, he was like this encyclopedia. And then he would just go places and give lectures. He would just stand up and like, just talk about anything for an hour. And people kept coming back and they kept, you know, and sometimes he would talk about farming. Sometimes he would talk about Atlantis. Like he would just kind of be like, oh, what's, what's happening today? I guess I'm going to talk about this. And when I read that book, I was like, oh, I'm a Rudolf Steiner and that's okay. <laughs> Cause that's what I, like I read and read and read. And then it's like, it just goes into this encyclopedia vault and I can just kind of regurgitate it at people, which I never thought was a gift for so many years. I was like, this is such a weird thing. And I know people think I'm a total nerd, but now I'm like, Oh, it's fine. Like it just, whatever is needed in the moment or in that period of time, I can access that knowledge and share it with people. And it's helpful. I don't need to be attached to like, is it about writing? Is it about shamanism? Yeah. Is it about philosophy? You know, is it about relationships and attachment theory? It doesn't matter. Like if I know something that might be helpful, it will float up to the surface and I can share it. Boom. Done. Easy. I was going to say, I'm pretty sure I've said this to you before. I'm like, I feel like you know lots of different stuff and you've made sense of different stuff internally, but there's so much there that when asked the right questions or when prompted, it kind of come, kind of come out of you. Yeah. Um, it just spews out. Spews out. And I also think that it's not just about, you know, you, you read on all of this topic and then all of this topic, I feel like you can kind of make sense of different stuff. So for example, if we talk about personality type, you know, you've, we've got personality systems, you've got Myers-Briggs, you've got Enneagram, you've got the archetypes. I feel like you can naturally just make sense of these systems and integrate them into one bit and just talk about, I mean, I was just blown away when I heard you talking about like, um, like facial expressions and like, or, and like, I think you just remember it. I also think part of your it coming out and through you is that you've, de you've definitely got that sage like quality to you where it just, that kind of commanding kind of rooted, um, and I definitely, I notice that now in others that I meet, um, mm -hmm. who may or may not be aware of it yet. I'm like, yeah, like you're, if you wanted to, you could step into speaking more because you're really just, um, 
it feels like a really great fit for you and it seems really natural to you and you've got a real you know some people just have a presence and they just draw you in well it's you know it's funny because I said when I was younger I didn't know it was a gift um because I spent you know my teens and my 20s I was just like this (laughs) where I was like I just spent the last four weeks reading every book I possibly could about civil war history. What do you want to know? And people are like, I don't know. That's weird. And I don't want to know anything, but if somebody, if I was like, say, you know, working in an office and my boss was like, Hey, my car, it's the blue one at the end of the parking lot. Here's the keys. Can you go just drive it around the block and put it in different parking spot? I'd be like, no, like I can't do any, like I have to find a blue car. And then I have to like, I've never started it before and I have to figure out how to start your car. And then like, I'm probably going to bump into something. I'm a horrible driver, like really simple everyday life stuff for, I mean, it still is. It's hard for me. And I've had so many people be like, what's wrong with you? Like, you're kind of stupid. (laughs) Or like, you can't do simple. Like I asked you to sweep this part of the floor and you couldn't do it. And I'm like, I didn't understand, like, where is the floor? What, what are we talking about when we're saying floor? What's the definition here, you know? So, so for so long, I was like, I think I'm kind of dumb. Like, I think that something's wrong with me and I just can't function. And it wasn't until I hit my like late thirties that I was like, oh, I think I'm just different. <laughs> I actually do have a gift. I think that's common yeah, for INF you're, people. You're, you're, yeah, the gift is like in a world, I don't know if it's brain, I don't know if it's body, I don't know if it's soul. And then you've got like the physical kind of <laughs> physical plane stuff. Um, and even that's, that's you, hard. It's real talk, hard for me. Hearing you talk about yourself. Yeah. And you've been really honest. I know you've talked about being in the supermarket and kind of navigating that whole environment. But hearing you talk about um, Rudolf Steiner and also yourself, like uh, it's that kind of, I think a lot of us are multi-passionates. And there's still, even though that's out there as a phrase, like thanks to um, Emily Wapnick, who runs a blog called puttylight.com. She's got a TED talk, which is... Oh, the multi-potentialites, yeah. Multi-potentialites. Renaissance people, scanners, you know, like they've been there all the time, but I feel like there's still a thing where um, living in the work, like kind of integrating that into life and making that work for you still isn't the easiest thing to do in the world. But it is more than possible because, like, we've got these examples of folks who are doing it, who have done it. Um, you've kind of managed to do it, right, yourself? Yeah, I mean, I have my own weird OCD rituals, which I'm sure I know every INF person does. Like, my car key, it goes in one pocket in my bag, the same pocket every time. It, I compulsively have to put it in that pocket because I will lose, if I don't do things like that, I'll lose things. I'll, I'll lose things. I don't know if you get this, like I'm so in my head or if I'm, I'm just not really conscious of, so I would always lose things or leave things lying around or not be able to find yeah. anything. And my mom is just like, you're, you lost it again. Or how have you misplaced this? Or, um, the only things that I always know where they are, it's my books. I like, I know like there's a book, a stack of books I'm working on. There's a stack of books that just came in the mail. Like I've got my little piles. I know where everything is with my books. And other than that, I'm like, I don't even know where I am. I, and I also always know what day it is, the date, if it's a holiday, like I know weird stuff like that, but I don't really know, like just regular stuff that like, if my husband like brings home three new couches, I won't notice. Like big stuff. I'm like, I don't, 
it's just objects for me to move around and I'll just I'll just I'll like walk around things and not even see what they are my husband could put a refrigerator in the middle of the living room I would just walk around it for months I would never question it brilliant I think that's a good note too I know we've, we've got a few minutes over to end on. I think it's an, I think it's as good a place as any to end on um I was just thinking like at one like um and, and maybe we'll see what people what people say in the response that we get but I feel like we could have gone in all sorts of directions and we just kind of roll with it. There is so much more we could talk about with writing. I know both of us, um, mm-hmm. but maybe, maybe it'll be one that we kind of revisit or if anyone's got any questions, please like email uh, us, like get in touch because we're always happy to answer them. And sometimes, you know, we might even um, be able to talk about it and answer it. Yeah. And if someone says, you know, they do want us to revisit it, you know, leave comments in the comments box below. Like, what did we miss? Like, what questions do you have about writing? What are you wondering about? We'll revisit it in the future. Yeah, for sure. Um, do we even want to say who we are and what we're up like? Give our links. <laughs> I know. I mean, I, know I don't know. At this point, I'm like, people can find them. I'm we're on it. Yeah, at this point, like we're eight conversations in. I'm just like. <laughs> I know, right? If someone's just meeting us, they're like, these people are some weirdos. I like they're either going to be into it and look us yeah, up. Yeah, can you imagine? <laughs> yeah, they just like stumble across this. They're like, jazz, Lord. Who are these people? Part eight. This was part eight. They've had seven other conversations <laughs> like this. Like, oh my God, these are weirdos. Um, <laughs> I say that because it's like, like that thing we're supposed to do. It's like, oh yeah, you're supposed to kind of like say who you are and like have a you know that whole elevator pitch thing oh my word like that still stresses me out you've got to have this one thing which defines who you are to that one person in that one like 10 seconds of time um Mm -hmm. i've normally got my headphones in when i'm in elevators as well so i I, you know (laughs) but yeah people know oh yeah okay you've given me permission not to have to say who i am and where i am well and i don't i don't I don't know if INFPs do this, but INFJs kind of have a stalker streak. So like, if I'm interested in someone, I will find out who they are. I will oh, find yeah, their yeah. website. I will find every, you know, so I'm not worried. About, I'm like, if someone's interested in us, they'll find our stuff. That's a very good point, you know, because recently I've been like, um, and I know kind of when you're uh, in like YouTube and other places, you kind of just leave that your one link. And I've been like thinking like, do I need to leave like, I don't know, podcast and other things. But I think you're absolutely right. Someone will find you. <laughs> like if they're that interested, they will dig around, they'll Google and they will come across. And I, I, I've to, I think I've told you this before. I really like the idea of digital gardens and not necessarily like just having everything up front. I'm like, someone of, there's something really joyous where, for example, I'll follow someone's blog and then I'll be like, they've got this Twitter page where there's like other parts of their life that they share like this is really fun and I'm kind of glad that I've now stumbled across that two years later (laughs) you know what I mean there's just something nice about an organic kind of discovery and there's different parts of us you can Mm -hmm. find dreamy INFP and me uh, coming out Um, (laughs) thanks everyone again for like yeah just tuning into these and also just the support that we get for having these conversations. Like every time. I know, I'm it's like, great. Oh God, that was really out there. Is anyone going to enjoy that? Um, it feels like, yeah, people are just having a lot of nice things to say. There's always at least three or four things, Lauren, that you've said where people are like, oh my God, me too. Um, 
So, That's yeah. really nice to hear. Cause I still, am like, like when I was telling you how I go to retreats and I sit in the back, I still feel shame about that where I'm like, I'm the only one who does this. And then I'm sure someone will be like, I do that too. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh, thank God. I know you're definitely not. There's something about, um, being in presenter and teacher mode. I think we can be more in control of the space and the energy. Mm-hmm. Um, I still kind of like being, um, comfortable and anonymous and in my own space when I attend things. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'm completely with you on that. Um, but yeah. Well, thank you so much, everyone who's listening. We're sending you so much love. We love you all. We really yeah. do. 100%. And like, let us know, uh, again, if there's anything you want us to talk about, or even like the, the parts that resonated, like it's always really like just not interesting, but also nice to hear, like for me, like understanding more about this moon stuff. I've had a couple of people reach out and say, yeah, I've been feeling really off as well. So I'm glad you talked about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, until next time. Until next time. Bye, Bye everyone. Tomorrow. See ya. So that's it for today's episode. If you're enjoying listening to the show, you might wish to dive in a little deeper by heading over to www.infclub.net. There, you can subscribe to my free newsletter and you'll find more little pieces to help you on your journey, as well as a community of INFJs and INFPs. Thank you for listening today and I'll see you next time.